when our sailors and their families are negatively affected by the floods. It puts our national security at risk. Flooding is happening more frequently. It's happening on sunny days. I cannot drive on the road that's adjacent to my house 20-30% of the month. We can't, as a city, afford that ourselves. We need support from the region. We need support from the state. We need support from the nation. That is the voice of Andrea McClellan, who is a city councilor in the city of Norfolk, Virginia, in the Hampton Roads region, speaking in our film Tidewater in 2017 about the national security challenges of sea level rise in the Hampton Roads region and what that means for the country. I'm Roger Sorkin, and welcome to the American Resilience Podcast from American Resilience Project, where we make films that are designed to influence public policy, inspire behavioral change, and strengthen civilizational security. Councilor McClellan has been working tirelessly on flooding resilience and adaptation issues in the Hampton Roads region, and she joins us today to give us a sense of how things are going. Andrew McClellan, thank you for joining us. It's great to talk with you again. Thanks, Roger. So when we first met with you and filmed Tidewater in the fall of 2016, you had just been elected to the city council a few months before, and you were speaking at a commission meeting expressing frustration about the lack of action around flooding and resilience. So it's been six years since the film came out. How's Hampton Roads doing? And what kind of progress can you tell us about? So interestingly, uh, you were filming Tidewater at one of the very first meetings that I attended for the Hampton Roads Planning District Commission. And it was right after Hurricane Matthew had, had devastated Virginia Beach. And we were voting on a voting on our regional legislative agenda. And nowhere in that agenda did it include any information or legislation related to flooding, which is incredibly ironic to me. And I, I call it out in the film. And and I appreciate that, you know, that you documented that. So fast forward, here we are, 2022. I am now chair of the Hanson Rose Planning District Commission. And the largest portion of our legislative agenda is about flooding and resilience. So, you know, at the end of the day, uh, we've made great strides. We've been able to unanimously amongst all 17 municipalities adopt sea level rise standards that we've all agreed to, one and a half feet of sea level rise by 2050, um, three feet by 2080 and four and a half to five feet by 2100. I think those are probably still conservative, sadly, but we've all, we've all, uh, you know, decided to, to get in on this. I, I've just left the Hampton Rose Planning District Commission meeting earlier today, where we had an incredible discussion about uh, Army Corps uh, three by three by three flooding studies which Norfolk has completed, Virginia Beach is in process, and how other communities can get involved, and basically asking the question, how can we as a region and how can our localities fund these huge projects that are required to deal with this existential threat of flooding? So things have definitely changed. Uh, we've also, the city of Norfolk received earlier this year $400 million uh, in an appropriation from the Army Corps for our Coastal Storm Risk Management Plan, which is huge. Uh, the challenge, however, is that to unlock these federal dollars, we have to have a, we're required to have a 35% non-federal match. Uh, 
Uh, and that means, so our, our entire Army Corps project is about 1.8 billion with a B, 1.8 billion dollars. And that 35% non-federal match looks like about a little over $600 million. The city of Norfolk can't fund that ourselves. So we were really looking for our state partners to get involved. So, so right now, yes, we've done a great job locally. We're doing a pretty good job regionally. What we're not seeing is the current administration getting in and helping us at the state level. So we've got to have local, regional, state, and federal participation to address this. So one of the things that always fascinated me about Hampton Roads and which drew our attention to the region to film Tidewater, in addition to the national security implications of flooding, is the fact that there are so many jurisdictions, independent jurisdictions that have to be at the table for anything to get done. Tell us a little bit about the region and the unique governance challenges that you face. So the Hampton Roads region consists of 17 municipalities. So about 1.8 million people, pretty large uh, and significant area. We have one of the busiest ports on the East Coast. Uh, we have you know, sea level rise elements that are, um, you know, some of the most significant uh, risk. Uh, we're second only to New Orleans in terms of uh, flooding risk. We have the largest military base in the world. We actually have the largest concentration of military and federal assets in the country right here. And, uh, you know, it's the challenge is working regionally when each jurisdiction operates separately. So how we tax in Norfolk versus Virginia Beach versus Portsmouth or Newport News or Hampton, they're all very different. And this is flooding is a oftentimes a watershed issue, which is regional in nature and doesn't follow political uh, geographic boundaries. However, how we address these issues, the, the elected leaders, the taxation is very specific to those, those political boundaries. And there's a real challenge to that as a result of how we can tackle this existential regional issue when we're each operating separately. And so we are the tip of the spear for coastal America. And so people should pay attention because we're going to be facing the challenges that everybody's going to be facing, but we'll be seeing these first. And how we address the, these or how we don't, it's, it's something uh, that everybody should be watching. So give us a sense of how flooding affects daily life in Hampton Roads and, and how you're mitigating the problem and adapting to it. So we bought our house in our neighborhood in 2005. At the time, I didn't even think about flooding, didn't think about flood insurance, not a big deal, right? We were on the water. I knew every once in a while we'd have hurricanes. Now, I think about flooding regularly because several times a month, the road that I drive to access City Hall is flooded on sunny days. And it is, you know, I, I've, de I've determined other paths to go so it is not debilitating, but it is going to be more and more of an issue where we're going to see this in more parts of the community so that my paths are going to be lessened. I'm not going to have as many options as I do right now. And, you know, folks are going to have issues, whether it's school buses going to get kids, people trying to make deliveries, people flooding out their cars, trying to get home from work. This is real. It's, it's, it's a real issue. So a lot of times we think about this 
flooding, as I mentioned, 2050, 2080, 2100, we think about this as a future issue. In reality, it is very much a now issue. And so uh, we've got to be addressing this, but here's the challenge. As we think about this, yes, it is a future slash now issue. It's a long-term issue. It is very difficult to get constituencies for long-term issues. People are concerned about our schools. They're concerned about public safety. They're concerned about jobs. They're concerned about inflation. It is very difficult to try and get folks to focus on something that is, yes, this might happen in the future. Yes, this might impact me but they just don't have the bandwidth to be thinking about these things. So it's trying to get the political will, the political capital, and quite honestly, the, the, the financial capital to address these before it's too late. And that's what I worry about. So in, in Hampton Roads, of course, people see this more in their daily lives. But generally, if people don't see how something affects them in their own personal life, it's harder to take action. How do you deal with this question of human nature and denial and and try to give people a sense of urgency around something that they might not feel that sense of urgency in their daily lives? So how do you wrestle with the realities of human nature and still make progress on this work? Human nature is, is difficult to crack. It often takes a crisis or an emergency to activate people. So the city of Virginia Beach, we had Hurricane Matthew in 2016. Prior to that time, the city of Virginia Beach never talked about flooding at all. Now, fast forward, they in 2021 passed a referendum to tax themselves to pay for $562 million for stormwater projects. And this is a pretty conservative city, right? So it is, and by the way, it, this, this bond referendum passed by 76%, overwhelmingly. This would never have happened had they not experienced Hurricane Matthew, which by the way, was a hurricane that devastated many, many houses, 70% of which were not in a special flood hazard zone, five to six miles inland. This was not coastal flooding. So sadly, it often takes that trigger of a catastrophe to get people to move. And, and I really, I, you know, this is why, you know, to the extent that I can continue to, to push on this, you know, let, you know, trying to get folks to wake up, to realize this is, a, is an issue that is huge to tackle. And that if we wait until it's too late, we're never going to be able to do what we need to do. So there was a great movie, great, well, whatever. Um, it, there was a movie on Netflix recently called Don't Look Up a bit of a parody on environmental issues and, and the climate crisis and chaos that we're in. And not, as I watched the movie, I could only think that they really need to make a movie called Don't Look Down, right? Because the fact of the matter is the water is here. It is coming. It is infiltrating our communities in a way where it is ruining lives, personal property, the ability to do business, to go to school, to be safe. And if we wait until... We, everybody sort of wakes up and understands, oh yeah, this is an issue, it's gonna to be too late.
You're listening to the American Resilience Podcast from American Resilience Project. I'm Roger Sorkin, the director of the American Resilience Project. Be sure to visit us online at amresproject.org, where you can watch all of our films for free and learn about how you can take action on a number of resilience-related issues, including food security, sea level rise, clean energy, and more. American Resilience Project is a nonprofit. We make all of our films available to watch for free. You can go to our website, amresproject.org, and please consider supporting our work with a tax-deductible donation. So, Madam Chair, I'll conclude my comments by um, uh, certainly responding to any questions in terms of a recommended action. Yes, um, given the fact that uh, the what we just experienced recently with regards to flooding, I'm surprised that's not in this agenda. Would it be somewhere else? So we could add something at, at, if that's the direction the commission would like to go. What we would need to determine would be what the specific ask would be. So. Yes. Uh, may I recommend that we take a look at uh, possibly asking for funding for the revolving fund to help homeowners with mitigation of flood damages? It is a revolving fund that has no money in it. Um, so it is, a, it is a shell with nothing in it. It is another unfunded mandate. And it seems to me that would be something that would be a very distinct and uh, actionable item. Thanks. Thank you. That's the voice of Andrea McClellan, city councilor from the city of Norfolk, expressing her frustration in our film Tidewater, where she's calling out the Hampton Roads Planning District Commission for doing too little about flooding. So, Councilor McClellan, the city of Norfolk and the other municipalities in the region are almost serving as laboratories for some of these resilient solutions. What are some examples that you can tell us about regarding the city of Norfolk and what you're doing beyond just the government level in order to adapt to and mitigate sea level rise? I think the challenge is, how can we create some economic development out of this? How can we create some opportunity out of this? So I'm really excited about the work that we've been doing with the RISE Resilience Accelerator here, where they, they have, they're in the third round of challenge grants. And basically, this is, this is an um, accelerator, incubator, call it what you will, that was stood up after Hurricane Sandy with funding from the federal government as a result of the National Disaster Resilience Competition. And they are finding startup companies, young companies that have resilient solutions to address our challenges. And they're incubating them, providing them funding, and with the goal of, of standing up future businesses that will help not only Norfolk and our region, but that will help the entire nation and that can be monetized. So the third round, which they're in currently is addressing flood insurance, which is a huge piece of the puzzle, right? So you, if you don't have flood insurance and we see folks down in Florida, for example, after hurricane Ian, you know, you, the federal government's not going to step in, but so much. And you're, you're just lost. You've lost your entire house. So how do we make flood insurance more affordable and more accessible to the masses? And so that's their, their latest challenge. But they've addressed all sorts of uh, issues in terms of building technologies, um, whether it's lifting houses, whether it's looking at historic properties and how do you create resilience and those types of things. So I'm, I'm really proud of that opportunity. And again, they have 
been able to bring in, I think, $32 million of outside funding with their small investments and created over 200 jobs. So that's something everybody can get excited about. You know, the Chamber of Commerce gets excited about, the environmental groups get excited about. And by the way, it's rare that you get both of those entities to actually agree on something. So that intersection between economic development and the environment is really exciting. And to the extent that we can find more of those, I think that's really, that, that, that's great. Otherwise, it's just, you know, how do we provide a simulation type of environment that gets people thinking about this? Um, unfortunately, the one that really works is the real world. It's mother nature. So here we are in a situation where typically the Army Corps and the Congress fund projects as a result of a national disaster. It's oftentimes after the fact, just as, as you know, human nature that we talked about our, our constituents as well. So that's how we got the money for rise after Hurricane Sandy. So we were waiting to get money for our big flood project with the Army Corps for the after the next disaster. What we didn't think was the next disaster wasn't going to be a hurricane. It was a pandemic. So that's where that money came from. And that's where that we've gotten our new start with the Army Corps for our coastal storm risk management plan. But um it's a it's a challenge. So Hampton Roads is incredibly significant for our national security. We've got 14 different military installations there. It's a major point of deployment. Can you talk a little bit about the military presence there and why it's so critical to work together with the military to deal with some of these problems? Accessing the largest naval base in the world, you've got 40 to 50,000 sailors and civilians every day going on and off this military base. And one of its main arteries is the area which floods the most. And so that's a huge problem of military readiness. Um, on the base itself, there's a lot of flooding issues. And so they've got to take, you know, basically, it can, you know, if we've got a big flood, it, it, it splits the base in half. And that's a huge problem too. Here, Here's the biggest issue though, and that is, you know, we've got to get DOD to help fund projects that are outside of its gates. And while they've made some small incremental strides there with the Defense Access Roads Act and the Defense Community Infrastructure Program Act, you know, you're talking about 20, 50, $100 million for the entire country. That's not nearly enough. So we've got to come together in that regard. I've been very impressed with the Navy leadership here they are at the table. They understand the issues. They want to help. They're just burdened by, you know, just as, as we all are, just a lack of, of resources. And so that we've, we've got to all come together on that in that regard for sure. So Hampton Roads has every branch of the military represented here. We have a significant veteran population as well. We have the world's largest naval base, but we also have Langley, Langley Air Force Base. Uh, the Coast Guard has a major presence in Portsmouth. It's just, it's, it's one of those places where people just don't realize. And when we are hemmed in and we don't have the ability to get our forces out to sea, up in the air, in trucks, etc., cetera, it, it, is, it absolutely affects our military readiness. 
So we've all seen how climate change has become an unnecessarily politicized issue. What are your strategies for overcoming some of this political divide around climate change and actually making progress? Number one, I would say um, flooding should never be political. Everybody experiences it, regardless of what party affiliation you have. Unfortunately, it's become a, a situation where people just want to ignore it if you are of a certain political bent. The causality of the flooding is, is more political in nature, which is really sad. But if we just focus on sort of the adaptation measures, you can, I think, generally get more people on board. Um, that's frustrating because I know we need to be doing both adaptation and mitigation. Uh, but it is, it is, it is such that you know we just got to focus on adaptation. If you're in a political situation, that's what I found. That's how you get through it. So I would say the other thing that's interesting, not not specific to flooding, but in terms of climate change mitigation. We've gotten the entire community on board with offshore wind. We've got the Chamber of Commerce, um, you know, regardless of political affiliation, everybody's behind it here because with offshore wind in Virginia, there comes what we anticipate significant job opportunities and job growth. So there's economic development opportunity that goes along with that. And so all of a sudden people are like, oh, yeah, clean, renewable energy. That's a great thing. We love it because there's going to be jobs. And so I, I really think it's that, uh, that, that intersection between those that are really important to move the needle. So finally, I want to ask you how you stay hopeful and upbeat about all this. Every time we've checked in with you, you've, you're always upbeat about it. So how do you stay hopeful and energized about some of these unprecedented challenges that we're facing? I stay hopeful because I think our the youth are going to make the change, right? We just had this election recently and the youth vote turned out. We've, we've always said, oh, well, it's, you know, it's older people who vote. Well, we're, we're seeing that change. And I think the way to make this change is to make sure, you know, Gen Z millennials, that they're educated and they understand and they, they, they are going to make the change. So that makes me helpful that they are they're there on the front lines. They understand the issues. They're making changes in their lives, whether it's, you know, they're eating less meat, they're driving electric vehicles, they're composting, they're, you know, they're just, they're just doing the work. And, you know, I'm really proud of this generation. I'm, I'm a Gen Xer and, you know, my generation, we just focused on, ourselves, you know, and, and look where we are. It didn't work out too well. You know, for us, it was what's going on with our families and our jobs and the role to figure it all out. And they, you know what, millennials and Gen Z are like, y'all let us down. And now they're having to step up. So I am hopeful because I think this next generation is going to make a difference. What I worry about though, is, is it too little too late? Things change because constituents demand their elected officials to change them. So we lead, but we often, but we will always lead as a result of what we're hearing from our constituents. And so we need people to be informed and involved, 
go to city council meetings, go to planning commission meetings, run for office. If you're not seeing what you want, become the leader that you want to see. That's why I ran. And so it is it's really imperative that folks pay attention, show up, because if not, we are going to be in a heap of hurt. And this is these issues that we're discussing, flooding, resilience, climate change, they are happening, they will continue to happen, they will accelerate, and as a result, people need to really become more involved. City Councilor Andrea McClellan, the City of Norfolk, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for your important work, and we will continue to watch Hampton Roads. We hope to be back there to film another story as a follow-up to Tidewater and hopefully learn as a country what we can all do about sea level rise, flooding, and adapting to a new environmental reality. Thanks, Roger. You've been listening to the American Resilience Podcast from American Resilience Project. I'm Roger Sorkin. Please be sure to go to our website, subscribe to our podcast. Please also do leave a review that helps us get noticed. Thank you again for joining us because civilization deserves a fighting chance.